Welcome to a mini episode of The New Disruptors, in which I'm asking people to talk just about their most recent creative work. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, and joining me are Dan Provost and Tom Gerhardt, the founders of Studio Neat, which you can find at studioneat.com. I've been talking to these cats since they did an early Kickstarter campaign for the Glyph smartphone tripod adapter years ago and at regular intervals since. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming back on the Renewed podcast, and thank you for your support of the podcast, too. Yeah, hey, Glenn. How's it going? Us. It's pretty great. It's great to have you back. This is third appearance, I think, now. You know, I, as you were ta- saying that intro, I, I'm pretty sure you were the first press member of the press that I or we ever spoke to in like 2010. I'm pretty sure that's the case. That's yeah. fascinating because I think during Fireball, like John Gruber had already promoted the glyph, I think at that yeah. point. Like that's how I found out about it. And I was like, Kickstarter? What's that? <laughs> that sounds cool. Um, and now all the scales have fallen for our eyes. Yeah, so, so nine, eight years, almost nine years later, here we are. So uh, before we get started, I want to plug your podcast, which I listen to. It's a very interesting insight into the industrial design process, and it's at uh, it's thoroughly considered at relay.fm slash TC. And every few weeks, Tom and Dan check in with Mike Hurley, the uh, found, co-founder of Relay Network. Um, he's not an industrial designer, but he really loves pens, Mike does. That's <laughs> true. Uh, I discovered <laughs> you guys talk about it's a great show i get a lot of insight into these like nitty-gritty issues of things that i never um never deal with about you know making making real objects Mm -hmm. and one of those is your new mark one pen um is that currently do i understand is it being prototyped now are you in final prototype phases or is it actually in production it's uh as we speak it is being made uh oh my gosh being made like and you know we've they have parts have been being made for months, but now they're like the full production run is like getting made and I get picture updates and our first sample of the production run is coming in like tomorrow, actually. So it's yeah, it's very much, very much in, in process, everything kind of coming together. Oh, yeah. So tell me about that pictures and, and communication. This is being made. It's being made in China. Some of it's being made in China. The, the oh, right. metal parts uh, are being made in China. Um, and so, I mean, we've. We've, I mean, we've probably had like four rounds of prototypes from the company that's making them, but this is the kind of like final one where they're making uh, like the 8,000 set of parts that we ordered. Holy and cow. so, uh, yeah, so, you know, they'll, they send like pictures ever so often and just kind of check in with, hey, like it's, they're being made. And so they're going <laughs> to send us like a small set of like five of each part that we're going to just like validate, make sure, measure some things. And then they have to have some plating put on them. And so there's some more steps down the road, but, uh, but yeah, it's a big, big step. So it's exciting. That's amazing. I mean, I'm remembering back to conversations, you know, almost a decade ago where it's like, well, you got to fly to North Dakota yeah. and like these companies weren't set up for the notion. I mean, of smaller, you weren't set up for smaller vendors. It seemed like, yeah. and you know, you're making bespoke stuff that's, that's in your quantities have gotten higher and higher, but I know in the scheme of things, you're still very small. Yeah. But this must make a difference that you can communicate with. I mean, the internet existed to China in 2010 <laughs> also, but, but the fact that like there, there must be, uh, they're sending you photos is the communication better now than, uh, than it has been in years past. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So we, for a while, you know, we're always a little bit gun shy on, on China just because, or not trying just on any, like the further away the manufacturer is the like more gun shy we are just because it's harder for us. Like, like you mentioned the, like the first manufacturing experience we had was in South Dakota and we flew there and we knew them really well. And it was like, the communication was really easy. Um, 
But with this project, we tried to have it made in the U.S., but we were just having a hard time finding U.S. Yeah. crimes that would actually quote it. And so um, we we tried this website called mfg.com, which is like a very huge industry website, and we've done it before. But basically, you put up an RFQ, like a request, a request for quote for parts, and, you know, uh, companies from all over the world will bid it if they want to. You know, we, in 24 hours, we got like 20 quotes from Asia. Uh, whereas, like, in the U.S., it was taking us months to get quotes from suppliers that, like, we've worked with before. So it was kind of a very much like, wow, they're, they're like, hustling. They, like, really want this work. So we kind of, like, put our feet in the water and kind of tepidly tried it out. But I found that the manufacturers in Asia work very differently. They basically want to be on a chat program with you. So they either oh. use Skype or Alibaba or some other, like, WeChat thing and they because the hour the time is different like almost every night at like 8 p.m i get start getting text messages from like our chinese suppliers <laughs> being like hey like well, i had this question or blah 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 and it's interesting because although the time is messed up it it's like more much more real time uh like communication with them in a way because mm-hmm. they want to be on chat and like send you pictures on chat i can be like hey send me a picture and they just like send the picture right away so in some ways, there are, like, nicer things about it. Uh, and it's, it's weird. So, like, I'll, I'll, like, have some chat with them. I'll go to sleep and wake up, and they're still up working. And sometimes they'll have sent me an email or something overnight that I can respond to. So it's just – it's kind of works. The, the thing that's worst about it is um, I wish that they – were better at taking photos because what almost always oh. <laughs> happens is they have you know they use cell phone cameras yeah. like in general i'm pretty sure and it's usually like at night or like poorly lit and it's bad like what i want to do is just send them a light box yeah, like yeah. A, and like a camera and be like That's just crazy. use this to take photos <laughs> and it'll be like white balance and everything but other than that you know it's funny sending getting samples from china takes usually just three day two or three days because it's all it has to go by air so it costs like, you know, 50, 60 bucks, even if you're sending a piece of paper, but it only takes two days. So it's actually faster than like the U.S. sometimes, like getting stuff domestically. So I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting process, but it, it, it mostly works. It's amazing to me. I've been talking to people for a decade about getting stuff made that, you know, things with metal, I think, in particular, but but also sometimes injection molded. And, you know, I've never had anything made like that. But the conversations I've had now for, you know, almost 10 years for smaller manufacturers is we try to bid it out in the U.S. Nobody really gave us an offer or the bids were really high and we had to kind of pull teeth because they didn't really want to do it. Then we went to China and we got 20 bids and it's all been great. Or we had some an issue with one supplier and switch, but it it's it's bizarre to me because isn't the whole argument that we have, um, uh, you know, Americans have invested more money into more sophisticated stuff that's supposed to allow us to be uh, more, um, you know, to produce things with fewer people and more machinery, and yet what you're making here, the Mark One, doesn't seem to me to be particularly weird. Uh, like it's not, you're not asking for some strange Frank Geary shape. It's like a cylinder and cylinder parts inside a cylinder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, like one or two parts that are a little bit tricky, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's absolutely something that could be handled by, you know, a Swiss turn CNC machine. That is like a standard thing. They have those machines in the States that, you know, they have them overseas. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of a strange experience. Like Tom said, you know, communicating with suppliers that we've used uh, to great success uh, in the past. And it was just for whatever reason, it was like pulling teeth. Uh, one of the suppliers actually said, kind of straight out said, I would 
I would actually rather this not be our problem. <laughs> like this, this, this <laughs> is a little bit tricky. You know, we basically oh don't want to do it. Uh, so that was, wow. it was pretty discouraging. Wow. That's well, you know, I got way ahead of this too. As I mentioned at the front, this is a pen, but, but look guys, I got to ask this question. I asked an email too, you know, it's 2018. There's a lot of pens in the world. Why a pen? Why a pen? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think we had, there's a little bit of a shift in our thinking uh, a few years ago when we had, I think it was after we had our first kind of failed Kickstarter campaign, which was for a, a smartphone, a smartphone controlled laser cat toy. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. And so I think that failure kind of helped us course correct a little bit. And I think previously when we were coming up with product ideas, it was always about like, it has to be really novel or there has to be some kind of interesting twist or, or gimmick to it that kind of uh, the story is kind of like built into that uniqueness. And then I think mm. over time we've realized that we've built up a bit of an audience that just kind of likes our aesthetic and they like our design thinking and they like our decision-making yeah. process. And so we can make, a pen or a chair or a watch or, or kind of these everyday objects, but just with like our perspective on it, you know, and, and people that kind of buy into what we're selling, you know, that the studio neat way of doing things are going to find that interesting. So we, that, that, that kind of realization totally opened up the kinds of products we could make where it's like, Oh, let we could make like the studio neat version of this. And that's, that's enough. It doesn't need some silly gimmick to kind of, uh, to sell it. That's the the thousand true fans, but for manufacturing, exactly. which is or industrial design. That's I mean I think that's a fantastic story because the scale, like the capability of making the kinds of things that you make in general. I mean the panel book aside, and I want to talk about that in brief because it's a neat matching set here. Um, it's just hard to make stuff at the scale. I mean when you started out, you know, 2010, we'd have these conversations and about how do you make something like the glyph, and you were learning, but it was also quantity issues. But the fact that you can make things in again, you know ever larger quantities by your uh, studio standards, and yet, uh, you know, a tiny, tiny, minuscule percentage of all, say, pens manufactured in the world, and it's a viable business for you. It reminds me, I mean, you are, you know, you called yourself Studio Neat. This reminds me almost of like a woodworking studio or or some kind of, again, a yeah. bespoke studio where you have a clientele and you're like, look, I made a new table. It's $6,000. They're like, great. And it's sold before you can even put a sticker on it because you have that mailing list of people who want your stuff. But you're able to do this in a multiplying fashion. Uh, I mean, people reach out to us and we, yeah, we, we definitely know some people. Um, it's still, it still feels pretty similar, um, mm -hmm. but we definitely do have a lot of like repeat backers, repeat customers. I mean, our hope is basically our long game and where we think like all of this is going is two directions. One, we think the future of this stuff is about serving niche markets, like niche markets. So, you know, uh, you're exactly right. Like thousand true fans, like a smaller group of people that might have specific interests, like you just serving them and building stuff for them. Um, so, so we think that's where things are going. So we're really happy that we're still like a two person company, like that's on purpose. And we mm -hmm. want to stay very nimble and lean because if we just stay on top of technology and keep like leveraging that technology, we can continue to grow like from a revenue point of view and like capability point of view, but we'll just be able to 
do more stuff. I mean, where technology is going, you'll be able to actually make smaller and smaller quantities of stuff because there'll be more technology involved. And so tooling costs and stuff are cheaper. So that's really exciting. And then, so basically our game plan is we just want to build like slow, steady growth of like fans, basically, or people who are like, you know, have a relationship with like our brand or us um, instead of like a fast growth that's, you know, whatever. So, you know, we don't do a lot of things like Facebook ads or anything like that. We it's we more rely on like word of mouth and things that will kind of build the brand slowly. Like our Instagram account is like not flashy. It's very like <laughs> behind the scenes, like trying to do more like honest like behind the scenes stuff rather than like sexy stuff. So that's kind of where we see things going, just kind of like slowly growing, but basically not changing. We, I don't know. We, we like where we're set up for the next, you know, 10 years or so. That's so fantastic a place to be too. And to be appreciated also. I mean, Kickstarter often think um, crowdfunding in the right project. Crowdfunding is like love. Like people show you their love by giving you money. <laughs> and they say, we love what you do. We appreciate you. We like your creativity, all of that. And this is almost a different, I mean, it's it's got some similarities, um, but it's you're being supported as industrial artists and designers uh, and but people want the things you make too. It is not just merely support, uh, but you're being supported in your creative vision at an industrial scale. But then the industrial scale doesn't have to be truly, you know, large industry scale. It seems like an exciting time to uh, to be working on this. I, I should bring up the panel book because I think it's a, it feels like you're like, well, we made a book. Now we need a pen, right? This is the, the <laughs> yeah. know, but, but the panel book is fascinating to me. Um, and I've talked about this in an episode um the first episode in this new series uh, with Spike Trotman, just uh, listening to your your uh, podcast episodes in which you talked about its production and the videos you put up on the site. Uh, books are easy to make. Things that are printed are um, printers know how to make those things. And so it reduces the stress of knowing if something can be manufactured by just orders of magnitude, I would think. It sounded like you went through that uh, experience of having more options and less concern that the thing could actually be manufactured. That was for sure something that was enticing about it is it was like, okay, this is like a known industry. Uh, they've been making these things for, you know, decades. And so, uh, so that felt a little comfortable, but even still, uh, we've, uh, you kind of still run into things. Uh, so for example, like there was something, the material we wanted to use on the cover was this really nice kind of like leathery feeling, uh, paper. And that was, there were like issues with that. Like you could only duplex it to like so many different types of materials. And so it was oh. like, there was a balancing act, like figuring that out. And then of course, like is always an issue like you don't want this to be a $50 notebook so you have to like what you can do and kind of the choices you make all have to kind of balance out so that that felt very much in line with other products we've made um and that you know you're always kind of have, having to make trade-offs and you know design is about compromise so we're very used to that uh, process but we're actually working on uh this isn't announced yet but we're, we're kind of we're working Ooh. on a new notebook to kind of complement the panda book and that one was because of like the binding style. I was like very tricky, similar thing to like the Mark one where it was like very tricky to find uh, suppliers in the States that could do it for the right price. Um, oh. And so that's been like another thing where we've had to, you know, look kind of look overseas. Um, so it's very, it's very interesting to kind of get into these new product categories and kind of figure out what is possible and, and what isn't. 
I was thinking on the manufacturing side, I'm looking at the drawings here for the Mark I. We could dig into this question as well. Is So if, if books are things that are printed are mostly characterizable, but you still run into issues when you want something that's um, specific and hasn't necessarily, isn't like a typical product, you still got to work through it. I'm looking at the drawings here on the studioneat.com site. And, uh, you know, this is so many parts and so many interactions. How do you break this down when you started and said, all right, we've got our, we've got our notebook. We want to make a pen. We know our customers, our, our fans are going to love a pen that we make. I look at this and think, how do you break this down to get started to create both that combination of uniqueness, but also with your manufacturing knowledge, something that you know can ultimately be made in bulk? Oh, I, took, I mean, I think it took us a year to design that pin. Uh, and it's like, it looks so simple from the outside. It's like, boy, how, why did it take a year? Uh, and it's because it's kind of going on that journey. So, you know, pretty quickly, Dan and I can typically hone in on like kind of what we, from 30,000 feet, what we want the product to be kind of. Um, but with the Mark One in, in particular, like we know we wanted a click pin. We know we wanted it to be like pretty minimal. We kind of arrived at like the general form pretty quick. But then for a while, we were like really wanting to use an off-the-shelf mecha click mechanism that we could buy. Oh, yeah. And we, we already knew we were going to buy an off-the-shelf um, uh, pin, like ink cartridge, ink refill, because that's like kind of what we built the pin around because we love this the Schmidt uh, rollerball ink cartridge so much. So we knew we, we had those pieces. And so we really tried for a long time to like get the right, find the right click mechanism and do all this stuff. We couldn't find it like we ended up after like eight months and like we had like a kickstarter video like already shot basically deciding to make our own click mechanism because it just like, wasn't good enough so then we had to you know look at a bunch of click mechanisms figure out you know what we liked and then figure out okay how could we make this out of metal how could we you know do it this way and that so it took a long 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 time uh of just you know, look, re like looking at other stuff and, you know, thinking about, I mean, we, we do have like now quite a bit of experience with, you know, like engineering and engineering for manufacturer and, 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 and that stuff. So, you know, we had a leg up, but it did take a while. And then, you know, we, the cool thing is, so although all of our manufacturing and fulfillment and everything is all outsourced, all of our, we try to have do basically all of our prototyping in house. Uh, so, oh yeah, I was going to ask. So we've got a lot of moving parts. Right? Yeah, so we were, we were going to make a. We knew we were going to make a pen, so we just like bought a little tiny metal lathe. So we have this little, very accurate metal lathe that's really good for making small metal parts like this pen. Oh. So I, you know, I don't know how many prototypes we've made, Dan, but I don't know, like oh, a hundred or something, yeah. like a lot. Uh, you know, and so we would just like figure it out, and so it takes a long time. Like we do things, and it takes a very long time, but. Um, we just know things inside and out at that point. And so, uh, I don't know. I can't really, it's not a simple answer about how we get there, but it literally is just iteration, just like over and over and over and over again, thinking about, you know, these little things. I mean, you, you look at this pin, it's not that complex, but it is, you know, it just takes a lot of iterations. That's funny. I look at it, I think it's very complex because, but the complexity is all beautifully hidden, right? The outside, you have a seamless, uh, this is part of your intent, right? It's a seamless yep. outside with just the click and the uh, the uh, pen's uh, point comes out. And otherwise it's this kind of cylinder that's, um, reminds me a lot, I'm sure this is intentional. It has a very cosmonaut feel to it as well. <laughs> yeah, it um, and it's good. It harken, you know, it's good to harken back to earlier <laughs> stuff. People... <laughs> Like design, uh, but that seamlessness. So there's, you know, I don't know. I'm counting five parts plus the cartridge inside. Maybe there's more even. Just yeah, looking there's. At this, but. Uh, we're getting. We're making. Let's see. One. I should know this. One, 
two, <laughs> three, four, five. Yeah, well, technically six. Yeah, custom metal parts. Uh, That's amazing. But this gets us back again, though, to that. I mean, I don't know anything about metal lathes, so I'm fascinated by this. I have a 2D laser cutter, which has been very, very exciting to experiment with. And I wish I could basically give up all my other work and just spend time <laughs> having stuff cut and assembling with it. Uh, so I understand that temptation. But the, um, before this, if you were trying to, and you've done other projects, I think, that have had uh, metal pieces or other items you needed to prototype, uh, how would you get those made? Cause this would also apply, obviously, to people who haven't reached your scale to buy that piece of equipment are there service well, bureaus you send to or so here's the thing i mean that lazy bottle was a 1200 800 bucks no 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 you're kidding me yeah, and it can and make it, stuff precise enough to be yeah, worth within a thousandth of an inch yeah oh it's, my it's, god that's amazing so it's not like a cnc lathe; it's manual um yeah but, yeah but still yeah so it's one of those things where i think for a long time we were kind of resistant to buying equipment because we just like didn't want to spend the money or it's mostly me i think just being cheap and be like oh <laughs> Even though I'm usually the one running the equipment, I'm still like, ah, I don't want to. Uh, and so for a long time, yeah, we were kind of like gun shy about that. But, um, you know, if we were to send those out to service bureaus, and there's tons of them, there's like zometry. I mean, there's like plethora of zometry. Like there's a billion places to do this now where you can have a CAD drawing, send it out to someone and they'll give it back to you. The only downside to that is it's pretty expensive. It would probably be to make a set of those parts. It'd probably be 250 bucks or something. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then... Um, it would take a couple of weeks, three weeks, two weeks, easily. And so all that whole time, what are you doing? Sitting around twiddling your thumbs? No, like what we like to do is be able to do several iterations in a day, right? So even though we had some money going into these lathes or 3D printers or whatever, the fact that we can do several versions and iterate several times in one day, we just go at light speed compared to waiting on these service providers. So... You know, it's hook by hook or by a crook. We don't have this. I mean, you could definitely spend $100,000 on a metal lathe. We kind of have the bare minimum stuff just so that we can like by hook or by crook do it. Um, but I don't know. It's it's pretty. Things are pretty affordable. You know, like, you know, you can get a 3D printer for under $300. That's like pretty good. We <laughs> we got a recently got a fancy 3D printer that was like $3,000. But um but I don't know. It's it's one of those things where so much stuff is coming online. Like we have a little CNC router made by an X Carve, and those things are mm. I think under a thousand dollars too. Um, and you could yeah, I'm shocked at the pricing. I mean, the two D print, you know, the Glowforge is what I what I've got. And disclosure, yeah. I know the founder. I should ex- you know, <laughs> I, it's not. This is probably an endorsement because I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying it. Uh, but they, but I mean, that's now I forget their entry level price. It's in the low Three. thousands. Mm. Yeah, a couple thousand dollars, like three thousand. Yeah, and which is insane for the capability it has yeah. relative to you know. I mean, you, it's a low power laser, but it's enough for prototyping and for certain kinds of manufacture. For sure. Um, this is stunning, though. I don't. I don't think I realized the price had dropped across. I mean, this is this is the difference of being off the air essentially for four years with this program. Is yeah. I've been touching some of the manufacturers. So two D cutting, I know a lot about because I got one. But everything else, and it just um, it feels like we moved like twenty years into the future. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. So the the fancy three D we bought a Form Two, which is like a SLA three D printer, and what's amazing about it is I can we can make a print and I can like spray paint it and hand it to you without like finishing it or any like doing Whoa. anything and it would look like injection molded plastic it's like the surface <laughs> oh finish is uh like pretty amazing and so and like same with prototyping this pen like the mechanism like work you just print it and it like works right so the game has kind of changed they also have like high temperature resin like so for this mark one it has this uh cerakote which is a ceramic polymer coating it's usually used on like firearms it's like very very tough 
Oh, and um, so that is like sprayed on the pin bodies and then it's like baked in the oven. So we needed a way to like, we're not doing that. A person here in Austin, like a vendor here in Austin doing it for us. But we needed a way to like hang the pins uh, and like mask off the holes and stuff. And so we actually on the 3D printer printed with this high temperature resin, these our own custom plugs. And they can, you know, go in the oven at 500 degrees and cycle a bunch of times and be fine. And so it's just like kind of amazing you know, and I could print like we could print like two hundred of them in like I don't know, like three hours or something. So it's just oh like, oh my goodness, yeah, it's kind of crazy uh, what is happening with this kind of like small batch production stuff. So I don't know. I I think the future is really bright for small companies that are just wanting to make stuff because you know it's easier and easier to reach the audience you want to reach. All, there's all these services to help you do like fulfillment and stuff you want to outsource. And then it's easy to either do in-house manufacturing or like prototyping. So I don't know. It feels like it's just getting easier and easier to do this stuff. And so I think there's going to be a lot of new companies coming in, serving, you know, people with weird obsessions and weird passions. <laughs> and it's great. So I don't know. We're, we're, we like it. Everyone could design their own pen in the future and exactly. have it manufactured. Definitely. Well, with some help. I mean, you could have the you could have the uh, pendesign dot uh, com, and people could go in and customize it and have it spit them right. out to their. Uh, <laughs> prob- it probably exists now that I say that. It That's probably right. exists somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is no. This is uh, uh, really interesting from this standpoint because I you often think like is the design the issue or is the engineering the issue? But often it seems like what you're talking about is iteration, being able to try a lot of stuff quickly to see what works and what doesn't to get. To that point, that's the expensive long part, and you've now reduced that cycle uh, because of the improvement. So, what what did you learn? <laughs> what one thing? No, sorry. What did you learn in making this pen? Do you have some things you've come away with that? Uh, the next time through, you're like, all right, well, this is what we really should have done to start with. Well, yeah, spe- specifically with this pen, we keep Tom and I keep kind of joking to ourselves that we should just assume we're going to want to design everything custom from the beginning instead of triggering ourselves into thinking oh, oh we can buy some like off the shelf thing and integrate that because we're never satisfied with the off the shelf uh, solution so instead of going through that whole process like tom said you know we had a, d- a pen design basically finished and then we were like you know this isn't quite what we want let's you know scrap it and do a custom click mechanism and so our lesson from this is basically let's just start there. Like let's assume it's going to be custom so we can just ignore, uh, you know, going through this whole process of thinking we can get away with off the shelf. So that's a lesson uh, from Mark one, I would say. That's good. And this was a very successful project. I'm just looking at the total here as, as 231, almost $232,000 uh, raised towards a $30,000 goal. It looks like over, it was like 3,500 ish over 3000 pre-orders mm-hmm. essentially. Um, or, pen, or more than that for the number of pens and you're accepting pre-orders now mm-hmm. it's 50 bucks mm-hmm. and it's pretty beautiful looking thank you so what's the you don't have a shipping date yet it's coming this fall yeah so we we're hoping for november at some point but you know it's one of those things where a couple of weeks like who knows what would happen but um yeah it should be before the holidays for sure so we will when we have kind of more of a firm you know grasp on that we might you know, change from pre-orders to actual orders. But yeah, it will likely be uh, later in the fall, probably like November-ish, but we'll we'll see. So we'll ship out all the, you know, the Kickstarter backers first, and then we'll start kind of sending inventory to our warehouse and 
open it up for kind of normal sales. What do you do in terms of quantity now? Do you have a sense of how much you uh, over order the parts so that you're set to go versus reordering? Yeah, that's a f- tricky question. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the like manufacturing process. So in this case, I mean, often we just order kind of double. Like if we have a Kickstarter and we have pre-orders, we just kind of get twice as much. There's not a lot of science there. It's just kind of like what we've done and usually it works. Uh, and that will usually keep us in stock for, you know, at least like a year or something. You know, if, if we were making like paper goods, th- that's the kind of thing where they like, like the quantities of scale kind of get out of whack depending on the quantities oh, yeah. you're at. So, you know, for that it might change. But for in this case... I don't know. It just kind of made sense. There's a lot of overhead to kind of reordering parts and stuff. And so it, we kind of try to order a pretty decent quantity so that we don't have to like think about it again for like a year. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we, we never know how things will sail like in the long, like on the long tail, like after a launch, like on a Kickstarter. So it's kind of who knows, but we are excited that we're kind of, we used to do a lot of products that were kind of like dependent on like they're like apple accessories or dependent on like something that changed a lot and uh that was good in some ways for marketing and stuff but we like that you know like we're making a pin and it's like well that will be useful for a long time you know it's not like we have to like uh, so it's interesting who knows like uh where all this stuff will go but it's kind of fun being in a space uh where you know it's like pretty well established that people will need pins and papers so um it's kind of cool to make something that might, you know, be sticking around for a long time. There's a lot of pen podcasts also that yes, can talk about true. pen, which helps uh, by, by some people we know, perhaps. <laughs> um, congratulations on the latest product and looking forward to seeing it. And, and thanks, Tom and Dan, for being Thank on you. the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. Thanks.